0: TAVR is more inclusive than ever before. Send all severe aortic stenosis patients to a heart team for a TAVR evaluation. Consider your patient's health and lifestyle needs when determining their best treatment option. Learn more at heartvalves.com. That's heartvalves.com to learn more. Brought to you by Edwards Life Sciences.
1: You're listening to Rock's Heart Radio, from the front, in this special series, Roxana Mehran will be speaking with healthcare professionals
0: on the front lines of COVID 19. Today's episode features Giulio Stefanini and Gennaro Giostino. Be sure to also tune in for our regular Roxart podcast
1: out on the second Wednesday each month. Hello, everybody. This is Roxana Moran uh, coming to you from uh, Mount Sinai Hospital, ICANN School of Medicine at Mount Sinai and the Cardiovascular Research Foundation on Rocks Heart Radio. I have the pleasure um, this morning um, to speak with one of my dearest friends, colleague uh, on the front lines in Italy, in Milan, um, uh, Dr. Uh, Giulio Stefanini, associate professor of cardiology, head of clinical um, research in cardiovascular disease at the Humanitas University in Milan. And uh, I also have the pleasure of having uh, one of our um, brilliant uh, cardiovascular fellows, uh, Dr. Gennaro Justino, who is uh, well known to everybody based on all of his great research that he's done and his amazing publications. And these two perspectives of two frontline um, groups are gonna have a great, we have a great, great discussion. It's so nice to have both of you here with me. Thank you for joining me.
2: Thank you, Roxana. Good morning. Thank you, Dr. Meran, for having me. It's a pleasure.
1: Fantastic. So let's start with you, Giulio. Um, first of all, our hearts are with you. Our, everyone's hearts are with Italy. And of course, uh, Gennaro is also Italian. And, and uh, this is, I'm sure, very, very deep and visceral for him as well. But we are thinking about you in the northern, in the northern Italian section and in Milan in one of the major cities hit. By the COVID nineteen, today's episode is all about COVID nineteen, and especially a focus for cardiologists. So, first and foremost, tell us what do the numbers look like uh, today in Italy? Um, today is March 27,
0: um, two thousand twenty. So, Roxana, thank you for asking. As a matter of fact, we are truly living a tragedy. I mean, it has been uh, a. I've seen dramatic scenarios in the last months with numbers increasing uh, constantly and uh, with uh, a huge implication for everyday clinical practice and huge implication for our patients, both for those that are affected by COVID and those are not, that are not. Having said this, the let's say the positive uh, news in Italy in the last three to four days is that there is not anymore the same rate of increase of new uh, cases, and also in terms of uh, uh, new deaths from COVID. As a matter of fact, there was a bit of a fluctuation. Specifically yesterday, there was an absolute increase in numbers compared to the day before. But if this is considered in the context of the number of tests that were performed, as a matter of fact, the trend is still positive. So the restrictive measures that were applied apparently are working. However, we still have an enormous amount of Patients coming to the hospital every day that have COVID nineteen.
1: Yeah, it's it's incredible. Um, uh, we have also the same uh, at Mount Sinai and in in New York, of course. And all of us have um, observed the all of the hospital systems in the New York City area, as well as in the uh, uh, New Jersey and Connecticut and and New York State in general, turn into. More of a COVID-centric um, hospital than than not, based on the sheer volume. Um, let me ask you, um, one of the, you know, as cardiologists, we're uh, we're been focusing a lot, and there's been some data now published both in the New England Journal, in JAMA, and and now in JAMA Cardiology, on the myocardial injury and this um, cytokine storm that may have an association with acute myocarditis in those. Advanced cases with COVID-positive patients, and how do you decipher between the patients with ST-segment elevation MI due to plaque rupture versus uh, myocarditis? Can you give us uh, what your experience is? I know uh, you're hoping to present some of your case series with us, but um, can you can you just share some of that experience with us, and then we'll ask yeah, she, to give well, us his- as Well,
0: as a matter of fact, I see. Uh, two different issues there. Uh, One is that patients with COVID-19 that are hospitalized and particularly the the one that have the most severe form of COVID-19 show some kind of myocardial involvement. Whether this is myocarditis, whether this is due to a cytokine storm still needs to be evaluated. However, they do have an increase in uh, cardiac enzymes, specifically troponin. And the way this should be managed at this point in time, it's entirely based on on expert consensus, since the evidence out there on the management is absolutely lacking. And uh, um, in these patients, I have to say that we tend to have a more conservative approach, meaning that patients that are hospitalized in the ICU and have a myocardial involvement are not going to undergo uh, a, a, a cast right away. A different entity instead is those patients that have a um, myocardial infarction in this setting, meaning those that are uh, presenting to the hospital with a myocardial infarction and they might be COVID positive or COVID negative, we do not know. And the way we manage those, it's a critical issue since uh, some of them may be infected. We need to prevent healthcare providers to be infected and at the same time also other patients in the hospital should be protected. And uh, Uh, The problem is also that the way uh, they present might be a first uh, clinical presentation of a COVID-19, or alternatively, may just be an an acute myocardial infarction, which has nothing to do with COVID-19. And therefore, the triage of those patients is extremely important, and it's it's truly challenging. As a matter of fact, I have read an interesting uh, consensus document from the ACC, and sky published in jack actually touching upon the management of these patients and similarly we are working with the eapci and esc on a consensus document that is focusing on the same aspect so how to manage the cardiovascular emergencies, and specifically, acute myocardial infarction in the setting of COVID-19 outbreak.
1: So are you using any imaging to decipher whether this is plaque rupture versus uh, acute myocarditis? Is there any hints that could help us make an important distinction and be able to act um, more, I guess, rigorously, especially in those patients uh, with plaque rupture, not to miss out on the door to balloon time or opening of a, of a thrombus-containing lesion, let's say?
0: I think that this is an extremely relevant question, Ripsana, since, as, as you know, uh, we have collected acute MI cases, actually suspected acute MI cases in Lombardy of, of patients with COVID-19. And we have quite interesting findings in this sense, meaning that in this series of patients that had a suspected acute MI in the first month of the COVID-19 outbreak, what we observed was that in 60% of those that underwent a cath, as a matter of fact, there was no obstructive coronary artery disease. So it was not a type 1 MI. And therefore, having tools to identify which patients have a rupture plaque and which patients instead have a myocardial injury, which is not due to a type 1 myocardial infarction would be extremely important.
1: I don't want you to give away your embargoed uh, no, findings, no. so keep those yeah. uh, to your chest, but,
0: yeah, but
1: it's an important important finding uh, that hopefully you will
0: share with the world. Yeah, but what I want to say is that, you know, having tools to identify which patients are, are actually suffering of plaque rupture is uh, uh, would be ideal. Unfortunately, we have limited tools. So, the way I see it, but this is a personal opinion, it, is that we should be a bit more conservative than we usually do in our normal setting. So considering an adequate risk stratification, we should actually be invasive in patients at high risk or very high risk, but we are allowed to be a bit more conservative in patients at intermediate risk. I think about, for example, uh, acute coronary syndromes without non-ST elevation that uh, do represent a challenge because those are truly the patients in which we need to make a decision. And uh, those are, that are not uh, hemodynamically unstable, so those that are, that are stable and that have an intermediate risk, I think that for those, we should have a more conservative approach. And for example, consider, if possible, to include in the uh, pathway for uh, diagnosis and management and non invasive Im- imaging testing such as CCta
1: beautiful all right well we have Gennaro Justino on the line um, uh, he's going to very soon um, share with us um, his uh, his uh, his uh, wonderful slide presentation of uh, the overall data around this. Um, Gennaro, tell us what's what's going on and what are you observing at Mount Sinai? Are you, are we collecting these data at Mount Sinai? Tell us a little bit about what's going on in New York.
2: So first of all, I share a lot of the observation that uh, that Julio just said. Uh, I believe it requires a lot of clinical judgment and we need to be good clinicians to understand which patient with elevated troponin are true ACS versus are not. Uh, I can say in our experience a lot of these patients have elevated troponin when they present irrespective of their symptoms and I will show that in the case presentation that I have later. Uh, the patterns of troponin elevation and the evolution of troponin changes are also quite interesting and they are not always uh, associated with AKG changes or imaging imaging abnormalities so it requires a lot of a lot, a lot of clinical judgment in terms of uh, workforce, actually, I would be interested in, in understanding what is happening in the Italian hospital. Uh, most of our units right now have been converted really in uh, COVID units. We have uh, most of our, our cardiology fellows and uh, cardiology attendings now They are also helping the COVID units. Of course, we are board certified internets, but uh, we are helping on that, on that regard, managing ventilators and uh, other like critical care issues for this patient. And obviously it's a multidisciplinary approach uh, between the critical care teams the, and, uh, and uh, cardiology. So um, of course, all the elective procedures from the cat lab, electrophysiology lab, imaging testing, they're all uh, significantly reduced to only uh, emergent cases. So there has been a shifting from the workforce from that end uh, to take care of these patients. So I would like yeah. to to, uh, to hear from Julio actually, what being been going on from that perspective in
0: yeah. your hospitals. I, th- uh, Janelle, I think that this is another very important critical issue. So the first thing that happened in our setting, uh, you know, we had the, uh, we were unlucky because we were the first uh, country in Europe to suffer from this uh, uh, COVID-19 outbreak. And therefore we had to Uh, proceed with a step-by-step approach based on the available data. And in that sense, I think that you should, as as Americans, you should take advantage of our experience to uh, reduce the risk of uh, having uh, a similar uh, rate of mortality as the one that we are observing. Because probably at the beginning, the first steps were not done in the right way. We should have shut down the country earlier, probably. However, what I think is very interesting is that what happened at the very beginning was to reduce by 80% all the elective procedures and uh, uh, this uh, occurred for the first 2 weeks of the outbreak so those were not completely stopped we were continuing to do elective cases but only 20% of those planned and that introduced the need for prioritize which patients could be postponed and which patients could not be postponed and uh, um this had an immediate impact on our practice and this occurred for the yeah. first two weeks after yeah. that after yeah. that go ahead said we had a full uh, had a full interruption of all the elective cases so mainly at this point in time since two weeks from now we are only performing uh, urgent and emergent interventions and therefore yeah, and we all the you know, resources we... of cardiology
1: We learned from uh, from you guys, but we really started to act on this very, very swiftly. Uh, I think it was uh, just a few days um, after the, uh, you know, within the time that there was lockdown, there was immediately thereafter stopping pretty much all the elective procedures for sure. And um, I personally went on uh, three weeks now, my entire team, research team is is working from home and using telehealth to to evaluate patients yeah. those are obviously some of the steps but i think the, the 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 incredible thing is about us cardiologists kind of learning about how to handle vents and how to handle critically ill patients and and reminding ourselves that Um, You know, cardiologists are really, I've always been great internal medicine residents and hopefully we get a quick learning and get right back on our feet and be able to handle the front lines. Uh, I want to thank you so much. I think one of the things that I'd like to just get a, um, if you had, um, you know, the top five advices for us here in the U.S., um, as we're watching this, we're, we've caught up to you guys in numbers and in, in admissions and, and all of that. But what would be some of the your top, um, you know, takeaway messages right off the bat? And especially with a focus on myocardial injury, because this is going to all the cardiologists.
0: Julio. Well, uh, shall I start or shall? Just... No,
1: I, I let you go, Julia.
0: So I think that. The first thing is to reorganize our cardiology service in a sense that we need to closely collaborate with other specialists involved in the management of COVID-19 patients, with pulmonologists, intensivists, and infectivologists. I mean, there needs to be right away a close collaboration. And this is in the interest of COVID-19 patients, but also in the interest of patients that have no infection. The second thing to do is certainly to define pathways. For COVID-19 positive and uh, patients not infected, we, you need to have clear pathways of management, particularly for cardiovascular emergencies, and these pathways need to guarantee the best care of, for patients, so state-of-the-art care, but at the same time, uh, safety for healthcare care uh, providers. And, uh, and a third aspect which i think is quite crucial is to uh, increase collaboration between different hospitals and ideally centralize specific services for example in the lombardy region what we organized was to is to have uh, hubs for stroke hub for mi which are not the same so the number of hubs in the acute mi network has been reduced and Uh, this is to increase the volumes in specific centers that have larger resources dedicated to cardiovascular emergencies at this point in time. And this way we can still guarantee a state-of-the-art care for uh, cardiovascular emergencies and limiting the risk of infections for patients and doctors.
1: Wonderful. Gennaro, any uh, any last bits? Um of advice? Yeah, uh,
2: first of all, Julia, thank you so much. These are very valuable uh, advices and we are still I'm not there in terms of like saturation of our healthcare system due to COVID, but we may very well be there soon. Another thing that I would like to add is that I believe we don't know enough about this disease. We are learning about it day after day. There is new evidence that get there, that is getting published. I think we need to be curious and smart doctors, and uh, with a multidisciplinary approach with our infectious disease and critical care friends to understand this disease and develop effective and safe treatments and pathways of care uh, for these patients. So we have to keep studying, be curious, uh, be learning uh, learning about our patients while we are taking care of them. I think this should be a a global effort. Well,
1: I think those are really, really wonderful. Important, very, very yes. important. Go ahead, Julia.
0: Now, so if I want to add something, I think that something to add on this is that it is an emergency, and unfortunately, we still have very limited evidence. It's extremely important to make this evidence available to the community, and an option might also be to go and preprint service. S- service, I mean, that is an option to make our available, uh, our, our evidence available as soon as possible. It does not prevent us for then. Um, publishing this evidence in peer-reviewed journals, but pre-print service might be an option to make our evidence available. I mean, the community needs evidence to make decisions on how to manage and treat these patients.
1: Wonderful. We're fully agree. Wonderful. Well, thank you both. Um, these are usually um, about 15 minutes long and we're uh, we're a little bit over that, but I think this is a fantastic conversation. Julio, thank you for making yourself available to us and uh, Genaro, we look forward to your uh, to your presentation later. Um, thank you again. These are uh, these are difficult times, and and your uh, uh, your availability to us is really much appreciated. And uh, we wish you all the best. And we hope for the best for all of us as we brace for this um, horrible pandemic uh, upon us. Thank you again. Thank you all. And signing off, Rocks Heart Radio, Roxana Moran here from the Cardiovascular Research Foundation and ICANN School of Medicine at Mount Sinai.